Well, we're looking at we're looking at the subject of Jesus Christ today, which is a good subject and a challenging subject. I appreciate the Sunday school lesson this morning, and we're looking at reviewing from John's Gospel. So let me just get my pages here. We've been looking at the subject of God's provision for our sin, and we've been talking about his provision to deliver us, the passage that we're in, uh, verses 11 through 14, his provision to deliver us from the penalty of our sin, aren't you glad? And from the power of our sin, which is in this present life, because sin wants to dominate, but his salvation he has provided is instructing us to be godly and to deny ungodliness and things of this nature. And now we, and we looked last time, so I'm just going to skip, kind of run through it quickly, delivering us from the very presence of sin, because that's the future. That's what we're going to be looking at in the future. And the text there in verse 13 that sort of directs our thoughts in that area is verse 13, which says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you are aware of the fact that this world has not seen the end of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, world events continue on today as if man were in charge. And uh, sometimes we do not display much concern for anything other than what we want. We may be getting kind of tied up with a lot of racial issues or a lot of political issues or whatever. But the thing that really matters, and actually the only thing that really matters is what does God think? What does he say? We have his word and we have the truth of his word. And so we need to know what it says. And this passage that we're looking at tells us to be looking for, that is to be waiting anxiously, waiting even to expect his return. Uh, waiting for Luke uh, 23 uses the phrase waiting for the kingdom of God. Luke 2.25 also uses the same word looking for the consolation of Israel. Mark 15.43 uses the phrase waiting for the kingdom of God. Doesn't just mean that we are sitting idly by and waiting, but it is an aggressive waiting because when you expect his coming back is going to be knocking on your door at any moment. That changes the way you live and the expectation. And he is coming back. And he is, there is an accountability in front of us. And so he is coming back. He's called the blessed hope. Uh, you could, I guess you could translate that a happy uh, hope or happy priority of something that desiring hope or desired hope. He is, he is the blessed hope we are. We are anticipating not a hope like a wish, which we are wishing that he would do something. We know he's coming back, and it is a desired hope. It is a, a an appearance of something that we really look forward to and are anticipated is kind of a motivation for us. So looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory. That's Doxa. My son has been talking about that in Sunday school. The glory of our great God and Savior. The appearing there uh, has to do with his manifestation or his brightness or his unveiling or disclosing of him. I have 
often wonder just between us as we are sitting here talking back and forth what it will be like when he comes back and what it will be like because we we are so accustomed to the world as it is now and the circumstances as they appear now and we see a lot of times we have a lot of these um, movies where you have a lot of graphic displays of superheroes and super catastrophic events and stuff when we look at it and those things but i don't think that's going to come even scratching the surface of what it's going to be really like when the lord cuts out all the stars and the sun and everything everything is black and then a glory that is brighter than than the light of the sun shines as the lord coming back in his glory and intersects this planet it's and at that time, men are going to try to hide themselves, and man will no longer have the ability to terminate his life. He won't, he won't be able to do that. He won't be able to stop it and be able to change it. It's going to be a very interesting encounter, something that's really going to happen. Uh, our imagination kind of runs away with us as we talk about it. We were talking this morning about the, the, the Shekinah glory, the glory, the brightness of, of glory and uh, the eternal life. These both are things that are outside of our realm of, of existence. They are the, the brightness, the glory, the light is outside of this cocoon of space, time, and history. In this space, time, and history, light was created uh, in Genesis, even before the stars and the sun and the moon were, were created, the light was was created and then in, in the property was that light dispels darkness that's what he talked about in Genesis but if you go beyond that outside into the eternal realm there doesn't seem to be uh, a problem with being in darkness or light people seem to be aware that doesn't seem to be a problem with time there is no past present future it's all the eternal state and uh, it's, a, it's a majestic reality the life that is outside of this realm that is brought into this the, this this world life can be terminated but when you go outside the life that god has the life gives us it's a it's an eternal type of life it's a it's another worldly life and uh it's it's completely different and it's magnificent and we are privileged to be part of the knowledge of this and the participation of this so um god is is really opening up a lot a big vista for us in the scriptures and we we reach out of space and time, we reach beyond the limitations of our little mind and our little everyday bumping into each other down here like bumper cars and our little problems. We, we reach beyond that into the eternal realm, into the majesty and the glory and the greatness of God's splendor. And uh, we, we anticipate it, we'll look at it tonight, the communion, we'll talk about the things, and, uh, but we won't, we won't experience it until we stand before him, until we, we go into his glory lane. And water and some of the rest are experiencing and getting a foretaste of that now, for which uh, I'm sure they wouldn't want to come back. We're talking about this morning, just in passing, kind of a stupid thing to think about. Maybe we were talking about the things of earth will disappear. We won't be thinking about those things. And I often have thought about my friend Don Fuller, who likes Alabama football real well. And I've often thought that if you were to go up to him right now in heaven and ask him about Alabama football, I'm sure he would look at you and say, what? What, is, what are you talking about? What, who cares about that? That's so unimportant in the realm of eternal. Do you understand what I'm saying? The things that we place high priority on down here 
have absolutely no need for discussion of that. It's not even, it's not even, a, it's a waste of time. It's, it's talking about something that has no, no value whatsoever. And um, so anyway, here we are, we're talking about this glorious appearing of the glory, the majesty, the splendor of our great God and Savior. There are two passages that uh, we might just consider as we're thinking about this thing. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, talking about uh, God's glory, the appearance, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior. Uh, we anticipate, we are um, looking forward to him, to, to see him, to be in him. We eagerly wait, we anticipate, looking forward to him. Uh, and it's it's a it's a good thing. It's a, something that we want. It's something that we are desiring. The same kind of thing is in Second Timothy four eight talks about in the future there is laid up a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous Judge will award me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Same word appearing. Uh, here it is. It's just that. There, there is this aspect of desiring, of longing for, of wanting to see him. If you, if you are in a bad relationship, if you've been running with the Lord, if you're living for yourself, if you're living, kind of trying to get all the gusto you can out of this life, as the beer commercial used to say, you're not going to want to be anticipating him. You're going to dread that. But for those who love the Lord, those who care for him, those of us who are who are his children, who are living for him, anticipate, look forward to that, desire that, and want that. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, when you're in school and you've done your homework and you're prepared, you're anticipating if the teacher asks questions, you're there with the answers and stuff like that. But if you haven't been doing that, which I don't know if you have experienced that or not, I probably have once or twice. If you haven't been doing your homework and stuff preparing, and the teacher starts to, to read or stands up fast, you kind of put your head down and you hope she doesn't call on you or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's the anticipation of being in a right relationship with the Lord that you look forward to that. And so there he says, for those who love his appearing. Now contrast that, if you will, to, uh, to um, <clears throat> Revelation 20, which talks about the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it and whose presence earth and heaven ran away or fled away. This is an awesome scene that's actually going to happen. It's not a, it's not a fictitious figment. It's not one of these things you see in the screen that's going to be computer generated. This is real. This is going to happen. <clears throat> this great white throne judgment for, the, for the, those who do not know the Savior, they're going to be standing before this. And it says there uh, the, that um, people, the heaven and earth fled away. There was no place found for them. They couldn't hide. They couldn't run away. Uh, and I saw the dead, the great and the small. Now, it's always interesting to me. And in fact, there was a sign, a song that talks about this, that when people come to stand before the Lord. Down here, we have our classes distinctly. Distinguishing in classes and uh, influence, and people with wealth and people who do not have wealth and stuff, and we sometimes put people in the various classifications or categories according to their standing in society. Perhaps. 
But when we come before the great white throne judgment, everybody that doesn't know the Lord is going to be standing before this great white throne judgment. And there's not going to be any special front row seats just for the Pharisees and everybody else that's going to stand behind. Everybody's going to stand there. Everybody's going to be standing exposed. Um, and their books, it says, the books are open and another book is open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here's the second thing. We can look forward to and anticipate the coming of the Lord or we can anticipate the great white throne judgment and that's not something to look forward to. That's something to run away from. I've had people who would tease about, you know, well, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to a place where we're going to party. And it's just going to be, I know I want to go there. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, there is something you can do about it. If you will. Get your Bible and read it. Read what the Lord says about offering a salvation that can pay for your sin. Study those buts, gods. There's two words, but God, in the scripture, like in Ephesians. That's that's really good. I, I like that. I like that. In fact, um, Deb has kind of piqued my interest. I'm going to start doing that, picking out some of those references. I've heard that before, but I've not picked them out. But I'm going to pick out a few of them because I think they're good. That's a good, good study. Anyway, uh, this is doxa. This is glory. This is dignity, honor, praise, worship, and uh, this is this is the glory that is. Uh, anticipated um the word for god for great god is the word megas and you talk about mega big things that's the word for god the word theos is the word for god and the word uh, sotir for savior so he's called the great god and savior which is a clear uh reference to the deity of our of our lord jesus christ and he's a great god and he's a great savior and so this reference here, and I'm done with this passage here, is a passage that focuses on the future, focuses on the, the future deliverance that is ours, not only from the penalty of sin, which we've seen, and the power of sin, but also the very presence of sin itself. We'll be separated from it. That's something to look forward to, to be gloriously delivered from the very presence of sin. I don't know if you get tired. I, don't, I feel like Paul, and I just kind of get tired of, of confessing the same sin over and over again or disgust with how quickly I deny or doubt or have a problem with what God is doing and, and try to second guess him. Um, how do you know you love the Lord? How do you know for sure that you belong to him? You can't know it just by, just by looking at your past things that you did years ago and decisions or an aisle that you walked or a card that you filled out. Is he is he working in your life tonight, today? Is he working in my life today? Is he is he giving me an interest and a love for him? Um, I, I am concerned about that. I want my life to display a real love for him. You understand that? A real desire to please him and to, to honor him. And I don't see that in my life like I would like to. Now I know that we tend to be critical and there's nothing wrong in that. But I just think it's really, really important. I was listening to John the other day, John MacArthur, on the passage 
Rick had suggested the study of Daniel, which is a good series, by the way. And um, you can still get it if you have the Grace to You app and you can get all those Bible studies. Anyway, uh, but he was talking about Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's um, confession. Nebuchadnezzar in John, Daniel chapter 4. And I don't know what he did. I picture in my mind's eye he did it on a Saturday. He was, things were kind of back, back to normal. He was, and he kept thinking about what God had been doing in his life and how he had delivered him. And so he calls the scribes and he says, sit down. And then he begins to relate firsthand personal, first person testimony of his conversion, how he was converted, that, that what he was like, how he had this dream about this tree. This dream was about him. He couldn't solve it. He called in the Magi. They couldn't solve it. He called for Daniel. Daniel came in and saw the, told him the dream, said, I'm sorry, this, the table, this is about you. You are proud and you're arrogant. And we need to, we will need to do something to you about your sin. That's Debbie's for the, she, huh? Oh, okay. She's not, she's going to be, I can't believe she doesn't have her phone with her. <laughs> so anyway, Nebuchadnezzar gave a, a confession of what God had done in his life, which to me is proof of the fact that he was really converted. He gave glory to the Lord. He, he just acknowledged that he was what happened to his and that isn't that true with conversion we used to do that we haven't done it sometimes we used to get somebody to stand up and give a word of testimony about how they came to know the lord and everybody that i've heard that really was saying talks about how vile and how messed up they were and how the lord had mercy on their heart and brought them uh to himself now i'm not talking about the kids that were baptized when they said before i met jesus my life was miserable i'm talking about that yeah yeah that's right he's, he's not gotten over <laughs> That is kind of funny, isn't it? But anyway, uh, this is the transition, the tra the change that the Lord makes in our lives is, is wonderful. All right, we have the last section here. We have about 15 minutes. Uh, this last verse is verse 14. Verse 14 reads, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own person, his own possession, zealous for good works. Well, four things out of that text. Uh, provision, if you will, Purpose, procurement, and proof. And I've got those this morning. I've been studying this passage and haven't been able to get them. I got them this morning. So first of all, there is, there is the provision of Christ. He gave himself. Uh, he, he gave him, in fact, that's what Paul says to Timothy, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony given at the proper time. Christ was not forced to do something. He came and gave himself. He voluntarily went to the cross. He laid his life down. They didn't take his life from him. He gave it up. And he did it because he had a plan and a purpose that was bigger than his own comfort at that time. And so he was doing that. And this is a, it's a good illustration for us. It's a good example, isn't it, of the greatness of our God and of his mercy and of his grace and of what he's willing to do on our behalf. And so if he gave himself, that's what he, that's what he says. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself to us. Peter says the same thing. Christ also died for sins. Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's first Peter 3 18. So he, he did. He gave his life. He came from heaven. 
He came to this planet. And one of the songs that says that he left the, the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was along the hill of Golgotha, there he was taking his life for me. He did that. Uh, he's a great God. He's a great Savior. We are we are very thankful. So this verse starts out by giving us his purpose, if you will. He came and gave himself, if you will, for us, for his provision. Uh, he gave himself for us. But then the purpose, the next part of that, is he gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed. The word redeem there, first of all, is in the aorist tense, which is a punctiliar action, which is a way of just stressing that this was definitely something he came to do and definitely something he came to accomplish. This is not a wishy-washy thing. This is a purpose. He came uh, to redeem us from every lawless deed. Now, if you look up in the grammar of the Greek there, you'll find that there are two words that are translated there for redeem, or, or the two words are in the Greek language. That one of them, which is the one that uh, a lot of commentators stress here, uh, stresses the price that is paid to purchase a slave uh, for his freedom. It's a, pr a price that is laid out and is paid. And most of the time when you talk about the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, a lot of times you're talking about that price that is paid. Who paid the price? Jesus did. He paid the price and he bought us with his own blood. Um, Acts 20, 28 talks about that. Uh, he purchased us with his own blood. Galatians 1, 4 says he gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from his present evil age. Um, he, he did that. But that's not really the word that's used here. The second word that's used a lot of times for redeeming, to be speaking of being redeemed, stress is not the price that is paid, but the actual deliverance, deliverance to be rescued. And here it is, the deliverance that uh, he, he paid to rescue from our lawless deeds. It's a very strong statement of saying that uh, his laying his life on the line to redeem us did so with a very strong emphasis of rescuing us from our lawless deeds. In other words, we don't have to live in sin. He has done everything necessary to enable us to live a life of godliness and live a life in compliance with his call and his life so that we, and that's what he wants, isn't it? He wants us, he wants us to be like his son. I have a, a friend who is, who a lot of times will call and complain about things that are going on. And it's, uh, I don't answer the calls very often because I don't, I get tired of the complaints and stuff. But this person does, a lot of friends this, of this person will comment that they say, well, you should stop complaining so much. And this person will say, well, I, I have to be me. I have to be what I am. That's me. That's me. That's my personality. And I haven't talked to this person about that, but I have thought about it. And I'm going to, when I have a chance to talk to them again, point out that this person claims to be a believer. And, uh, but they, they, if they are a believer, I'm going to tell them that Jesus doesn't want you to be like yourself. Jesus wants to make you more like himself and change your life so that you're not complaining and living. Um, the, the, the criticism of Israel, which is an example of us to see and learn from, was that they were grumbling and complaining all the time. God hates that. That's just, we have nothing with which to grumble. Even when things don't go well, we have nothing with which to grumble and complain about. God is so good to us. He's always giving us better than we deserve. And so uh, this, this is a, this is a, a a real serious thing here, and we need to, to recognize that the price that, that Jesus paid for the redemption was not just the price of the value of his sacrifice, 
but the securing of us to be living victoriously so that we are no longer bound under living for self, but rather we are delivered so that we can live for him and please him and honor him. In the book of Titus, if we were to go back to the very beginning of the book of Titus, which I did this morning, uh, Paul writes um, and he, he relates the issue that he is a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means that he is, he is given his life no longer to live for himself, but to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord. And he has come uh, for the faith of those that are chosen of God. And he has come to help the children of, of the church, the, the believers, know experientially the knowledge of the truth and to how to live godly and to have a, a hope that goes beyond the presence of the eternal hope in God. And so this is a change that's taken place in Paul's life as he's writing Titus and he's challenging Titus to be involved uh, in, he lists things like um, the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifest even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. So Paul has been given his life to serve uh, and he's calling Titus to be involved in that as well. So that's the second thing that Christ came to do. The first thing was he came to provide as a provision for his own life. The second thing he came, the purpose was to deliver us from these, this self-centered living, godless living. And the third thing is the procurement of that life. He says here, he gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify. There again, that's Eris tense. That's a, that's a way of just saying, yes, indeed, he came to purify for himself a people for his own possession or for his own property. He came to procure people that belong to him, people that are, are his, his own people. When you think about, and I think frequently about the children of Israel when they were down in Egypt, and they were going through some pretty harsh treatment from the pharaohs and things like that. It was they, the pharaohs were trying to keep them from living, and so they just kind of turned the heat on a little bit. And they began to cry out to God. Now, they were not, um, it, if I look at the context well, they were not necessarily in a strong personal relationship with God. They were in a relationship through their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And their, their relationship was through their father, their forefather, and their grandfather. And here they were, but they were crying out to the God of their father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God heard their prayer. And from that point on, God goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. He's now adopting them. They're his people. He's remembering his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're his people. And he is undertaking now to deliver them. And he did deliver them. And he ended up killing an, almost an entire ar Egyptian army in the process because they wouldn't get out of the way, wouldn't let them go. And so the point, the point is that, and I guess what we're trying to say is that when the Lord undertakes to uh, procure a people for his name, he's serious about it. And uh, we are those who are part of his possession. We are, as Peter says, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own property or own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're his people, we're his property, but we are not to be quiet. We are to 
to live and proclaim such a way that we are proclaiming him and his greatness and his glory um, he's, because he has called us out of living in darkness as people in the world to people that are his we living in his marvelous light aren't you glad that we are people that have been chosen like that finally uh and, and that verse i didn't finish the verse real quick so the uh, out of darkness in the marvelous light for you once were not a people ah but now you are the people of god you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy there has been a change of citizenship change of allegiance a change of ownership you were not but now you are because of who jesus is what he's done and then finally the proof of this uh, he says here uh, zealous for good works uh, the word uh, good there is a word that means works that are noticeably good that are obviously good and what he's doing here is just saying that if you are his and if he has redeemed you it will show in your life it will show in your work your deeds will confirm that it will prove that the profession that you make with your mouth is real because it's demonstrated in your life and isn't that isn't that the case with all of us i mean isn't that true that people no matter what you say People make their judgment based on how you live. That's just the way it is. And we know that. And so we want to recognize that God sent his son to impact us, to make us like Christ, to help us live for him. And, and he secured us paying for our sin, paying for the power, delivering us from the power of sin, and even the presence of sin. All of this is to change us and make us his people so that we can bring honor and glory to him. That's what we want to do. Um, Titus tells us in Titus talking about good deeds, Titus says to be careful to engage in good deeds. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. If we're created under good works, those good, good works must be there. God has called us to do that for that purpose. And now, believe it or not, we have finished that little passage. <laughs> several verses. We'll move on next time. Uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we have a few minutes early tonight. This afternoon. That doesn't happen very often, but I do thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for these words that you have given to us through the, the pen of the Apostle Paul that relate to us about our Savior, our Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your coming. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We are so blessed. Tonight, we have the privilege of coming back and just turning our focus from ourselves to you and to seek to understand and to, to meditate on you. I pray that you'll be working in our hearts. Give us some things to share, the things to say uh, that will help us to see you more clearly and to worship you more faithfully. And I thank you for these people. If there are those here this morning, Father, who do not know for sure that they're yours, that they don't, do not see your work in their lives that, that uh, they don't see you delivering them from the power of sin and that you're working in their hearts to make them love you i pray that you'll bring them to that point of trusting in you that's that's a dreaded dreaded words that are repeated in matthew which jesus said many will say to me on that day lord lord and i'll have to tell them depart from me for i never knew you those people thought they were okay they were convinced they were okay but they were not so I just pray that you'll help us not be deceived, not in this area. This is extremely important. So I pray, help me not to be deceived. Help us not to be deceived. 
thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we ask your blessing now upon this week. Pray for the meeting tonight as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.